I'm on now. Am I on now? Okay. Yeah, if you'd uh, grab your Bible and open to Colossians chapter 4, we're going to finish in that book this morning. Uh, we're going to start reading at verse 7, and we're going to read to, uh, to verse 17. We're about to have a, a, a good snack, right? This is uh, not a bad snack. God's Word, God speaks to us, instructs us, uh, fills our soul with good things when we hear His Word. And so we're going to read uh, Colossians 4, starting in verse 7, and we'll read to the end. It says, Tychicus will tell you about all my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. We come to worship and we have sung together and we've given. And now we ask you to speak to us from your word. And we thank you that you have spoken and you've given us these words as a guide and a light. So that we can know how it is that you call us to live. You tell us in this book, the book of Colossians, you tell us that we are complete in Christ and that we have been given everything that we need for spiritual health and we're to grow up. We're to mature into the fullness of Christ and we thank you for that. And we thank you, Lord, that from that lesson, you have taught us many lessons about the way that we talk and the way that we act and the way that we think and the way that we encourage and, and how we're to be putting on virtue and casting off sin and to be doing all of these things, Lord. And as we come to the end of our time in this book, I pray that you would leave us with a strong assurance and a clear picture of what it means to be a family and a team, and to work together for your glory. We're not sure why you choose to do what you do the way you do it. You sent your son 
to take our sins upon himself and to give us his righteousness. And then you choose to work with men and women to take the gospel, to take this good news about Jesus all over the place. You call us to live in community and to love one another. And Father, I pray that that we would see that this is not just the job of one or two people in a community, but that it takes the team, that we're a family and we're to accomplish this together. We pray for deep assurance of this truth, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe one of the questions that confronts a lot of, of people is, where do I fit in to everything? Uh, certainly, this is a, uh, a burden that, that people have. Uh, young people, as they graduate high school, the question becomes, what are you going to do? Where are you going to go to college? What are you going to do for a living? Who are you going to be? And then as, as people grow older, they have questions about you know, whether they should change jobs. Should they stay in their career? Uh, people go through midlife crisis. Who am I? What's going on? Am I significant? Uh, leadership expert Ken Blanchard writes in his book, Lead Like Jesus, that the two most important questions that we have to answer are, who am I? And whose am I? And if we can answer those two questions, we can understand who we are and where we're supposed to be going, what we're supposed to be doing, that these two questions, the answers to them, can set the course of our life in in the right direction. Who am I? If you're a Christian, if you put your faith and trust in Christ, if you've said, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and you look to him in faith, What we know is that God answers the the cry for help in faith, and he gives us the righteousness of Christ. He takes our sins away. He fills us with the Holy Spirit and gives us a new spirit. And we become the adopted, redeemed, justified, accepted, and beloved children of God. And that is equally true of all of us. It's not more true for some Christians and less true for others. That is who we are. And if we start there, that will set our path right. That's who we are. But then we need to ask the question, whose am I? And the answer may sound similar, but it's different. I am a child of God. And my Father in heaven, who is the Lord of heaven and earth, who created me and gave me an identity and a spirit and a personality, has a will for me. I'm a, I'm a servant of the Savior who has a mission. He left the church with the Great Commission. Those are standing orders. Standing orders are, this is the way we do things, this is what we're going to do, and this is what we're going to do until someone comes with authority and says, all right, we're not doing that anymore, right? We're told to go and make disciples of all nations and to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to observe all the things that he's commanded. And Jesus says it's very clear who his servants are. They're the ones who love one another. Those are our standing orders. We are also filled with the Spirit, and the Spirit has fruit, love, joy, faithfulness, peace, the other few that I always forget. If we say, who am I and whose am I, that will guide us 
as we, as we seek to figure out where we fit in. Now, Paul has stressed throughout the book of Colossians that we're complete in Christ. Colossians 2 verse 9 says, For in him, speaking of Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. That, that in Jesus... We have everything that we need, that he is the purpose and direction and the goal, and that when we put our faith in him, God gives us everything that, that we need. And so, so it's, this is very much like the North Star, right? Wherever you are in the world, if you can see the North Star, you know which direction north is. And if you know which direction north is, you can figure out east, west, and south, right? And you can begin to get your bearings. Wherever we are in the Christian life, whatever we're going through, whatever we're struggling with, whatever difficulty we face, we may say, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do next. The answer, it's easy to say, but it's sometimes difficult to live out. The answer is we look to Jesus and we move towards him. Whatever and however that translates. Paul says that he is our goal. Him we proclaim, this is Colossians 1.28, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. For what purpose? That everyone will be perfect and exactly alike? No. We warn everyone and teach everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This means that we're to, to grow up into his image and to conform more and more to his likeness. It's not about being perfect, putting up this facade that we're the absolute perfect Christian, it's, it's that we learn and grow and develop and become more and more like him. It doesn't mean that we're all supposed to be exactly alike in every way. We're not to be clones of one another or to, to figure out, okay, what, are, what is the exact right decision in every situation? I need, to, I need to make that exact right decision because God will be upset with me if I don't do the perfect thing in every, every moment. You know, we're just, we're so anxious about getting it right. That's not God's will for us that we would be fearful and anxious and wondering, feeling bad about ourselves all the time. His goal is that we would rest in him and live out his will. Not that we'd all be exactly alike. God created us different. We have different experiences and perspectives and and thoughts and different personalities and different gifts. Think about what Jesus said to the crowd They were anxious and they were worried about how they were going to get by, right? All of them different, different trades, different experiences. And and Jesus asks them, he says, what is the price of, of two sparrows? Isn't it a single copper coin? Not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than many sparrows. He says this to a group of people who are seeking truth, who are coming to him. And he says, you are valuable. You have a place in God's plan. You are part of the the family. You're part of the team. And so... Many times, I think, in in the church, we can think like... We look out at what's happening, and, and we can think, I'm not exactly sure where I fit in. 
I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. I'm not sure who I'm supposed to be. You know, I don't know if I'm serving the Lord unless I'm involved in this activity or unless I'm, I'm doing this or I need to attain this place or figure out where I fit in. I believe that God calls us to take our personality and our passions and our gifts and to get involved in the work of the kingdom. And that doesn't always mean that there's a a perfect set of instructions of what we're supposed to do. We're just supposed to find what God puts in our path and in our way and bring the, the, the mentality of Jesus, the perspective of Jesus, his love, we're to bring it into that situation. We're to, we're to bring it to bear. Not everybody is going to be a Paul, right? There are lots of other people in the family and on the team. And that's what's kind of amazing about this passage. Now, if you're friends with me on Facebook or know anything, if you had a conversation with me over the last few weeks, you know that right now uh, over at the high school, Max and Jack are involved in rock and roll revival. Maybe you've seen posts or videos or things that I've posted, right? And, and a lot of the attention is focused on Max, right, who, who sings Sitting on the Dock of the Bay. It's, I mean, I cannot say enough about how incredible it is. And I don't think people are just like, chatting at me when they're like, that was fantastic. It's like, no, he's, he's really good. He's really good, right? So all the attention is going to him, right? But he sits on this dock when he sings a song, right? And Jack, who's on stage crew, is the one who picks it up and brings it out on stage. And it's dark and nobody sees him. And he puts it out there in place and then the lights come up. And because he's on stage crew, he's supposed to be gone. Like he's supposed to be a ghost, right? Not seen at all. Nobody, nobody applauds for the guy who puts the dock in place, right? But if the dock's not in place, then the effect is kind of lost, Right? The two of them are such a, now I said, I, I said something on Facebook about how, how no one sees Jack and he's invisible. And somebody actually posted a picture, Zach posted a picture of him and I've made it my profile picture. My intent was just to put uh, 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 just a blank space there and to say, oh, that's Jack doing his job. Cause you know, I featured Max. I'm like, anyway, right. When we, when we look at the new Testament, it's very easy to think like, wow, I could never do this. I could never rise to the level of a Paul, right? I could never, I could never serve God in, in certain ways. But there are dozens of people behind Paul helping make it happen. And let's be honest, there were 12 apostles and there were a whole bunch of people who were sent. And what we have in the New Testament is just a, a single slice of the pie, the, the, the Paul perspective, and then some other writers. There are hundreds of stories and other things that happen that we have no view of. They are lost to history. But yet they were all active and part of advancing the gospel in the world. I once... Uh, heard somebody ask Al Mohler, who's president of Southern Baptist Seminary, they said, somebody said, who is the greatest preacher alive today? When he answered the question, he said, we probably have no idea who the greatest preacher is. He said he might be preaching somewhere in the underground church in China. He might be in some like forgotten pulpit somewhere in Tennessee preaching to 10 people. And yet he's the greatest of all time and no one will ever know it. That's the way the world works, right? 
There's a, there's, there's a team that lines up behind Paul. So I, I want to I just I wanna throw out there this morning that if you ask the question, who am I? Knowing that you're a, a child of God, and you ask the question, who is, whose am I? You are, you are God's. He has created you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're adopted and you're justified. You have a role and a place in his family. And here's just kind of a sampling of personalities. Maybe you're one of them. Maybe you're not featured here, but you have something that God is calling you to do. Let this passage be a reminder to you of the need and the value of the whole team, of everyone within God's plan. We see first that there are some men who were messengers. In verse 7 and and 8, we meet Tychicus, right? Tychicus shows up several times. He's in the book of Acts in chapter 20. He shows up in Ephesians chapter 6. He shows up in in, uh, 1 Timothy 3 and 2 Timothy. And Tychicus is always taking letters from Paul and taking them places, right? One of the reasons why the the cutting edge technology of writing was so important to the development of the early church is that Paul had not yet mastered the art of being in two places at once. Right? Jesus could move really, really, really fast, right? And go from place to place and visit a bunch of people and, and freak them out, right? And show up and, 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 and be like, peace to you, you know, and just appear in front of them. And they, they were filled with terror when he does that. Um, but, but because of the, 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 the extensive nature of the work, Paul has to write and send. Because, because he's got a perspective. He started these churches. People trust him. They trust his leadership or, or the things that he taught them are being threatened. And he's got to get messages out to people. And here is this guy, Tychicus. He's called the beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. We don't know a whole lot about him except that he serves. He serves. Maybe in the contemporary church, he's the person who's always vacuuming. Washing the coffee pots, handing out the bulletins, saying, hey, is there anything that I can do? What what is it that needs doing? How can I serve you or help you? He, he He takes the form of a servant. And what's interesting, I think, is that in the world, servant is not a term that's necessarily valued. Right? Nobody says, I want to grow up and be a servant. And yet, in the scriptures, we're told that Jesus said, I am among you as one who serves. He taught the church that the greatest among them would be their servant. He took the form of a servant. And because he served, he is exalted as the highest one. We don't know a lot about Tychicus. There's no stories about things that he did other than the fact that he was running messages for Paul all the time. And yet we have these words preserved. They were delivered because of his ministry. He was a servant. Second, there is Onesimus, who is also described as a faithful and beloved brother. He's also interestingly from this town. Paul says he's one of them. What we learn from the the book of Philemon is that Onesimus was a runaway slave. He got tired of being a slave. He ran away, and you know who he ran into? He ran into Paul somewhere. 
He met Paul, who shared the gospel with him, and he became a Christian. And then Paul said to him, hey, I know you escaped, right? You got to go back and you got to fix it. And he writes this letter. And so he heads home carrying the book of Colossians along with Tychicus and also carrying, we believe, the letter to Philemon. He had something difficult to do. But he faced it, right? One of the ways in which maybe you serve the church and you serve the team is when something difficult comes your way, you don't collapse, You don't fall apart. You remain dependent on Jesus. And like Paul said, you say, his grace is sufficient for me. Even though I'm weak, he is strong in me and I'm able to keep pushing forward. And what you serve your brothers and sisters in the church by by explaining or demonstrating is that he is worth pursuing and the strength that he gives and the grace that he provides enables me to keep on going. And though I have been struggling or dealing with this intensely difficult thing, I've not given up. We don't know what happens with the rest of the story. We don't know if Philemon says, forget that, right? And, and, and prosecutes Onesimus. We don't know. But we believe that he gave the letter to Philemon, and it's most likely that Philemon followed through on Paul's advice and treated him like a brother. He served as a messenger, but he he served in a situation where there was intense difficulty. We don't get to choose what difficulties we face in life. Difficulties choose us, right? The Lord appoints them for us. We encounter them, and whatever they are, even though we don't, we don't know what they are in advance, we're to say, okay, Lord, I get through this by depending on you. And we're blessed by the example that, that the founder of our faith, our Savior, that he too suffered, persevered, and endured because the joy that was set before him was worth it. So we have these two messengers who were servants, Tychicus and Onesimus. Second, we have the people who were comforters and encouragers. If you're a doer, right? If, if you're the kind of person who, who can look at nothing and conceive of something being there, right? If you're the kind of person who says, I'm, I'm going to create something out of, out of nothing. I'm going to work hard, right? Difficulty can come. And when difficulty comes, sometimes you despair and you question yourself. And man, isn't it great to have those people around you who encourage you? Who, who in the middle of trouble, right, instead of giving you a bunch of advice and telling you all the things that you did wrong, they're just like, you know what, I'm here for you. And it doesn't sound like trite. It doesn't sound like they're just trying to get it out and, like, move on, you know, just say some words to you. No, they're, they're with you, and they encourage you. And when, when they talk to you and, 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 and build you up, you're like, yes, that's true. And you regain perspective, and you get back at what you were doing. Aristarchus, in verse 10, is one of those people. One of the reasons he was able to comfort Paul is he's described as a fellow prisoner, right? He was there when Paul was in the middle of it, when they were like, hey, troublemaker, and they threw irons on him and chained him to a wall, Aristarchus was trapped right next to him, chained up. Here we are, right? 
what are, what are we going to do now? You know? And they would pray or they would, they would sing. He'd, he'd been a fellow traveler with Paul. He shows up in Acts chapter 20. When Paul says to the troublemakers in 2 Corinthians, he's like, these guys, they, they, these false prophets and apostles, they show up and they say, if Paul was, was really a true teacher, he wouldn't be facing so much difficulty, right? We, we feel that sometimes, don't we? We feel, like, we feel like, man, if God really loved me, I wouldn't be facing difficulty. I wouldn't be sick. I wouldn't be uh, you know, in, in the position I am in ministry right now. Or if God really loved me, I'd, I'd have more comforts and not as much pain, right? Paul fires back in 2 Corinthians and he's like, do you, do you realize what I have suffered and he does say, before doing that, he said, I'm going to speak like a complete fool. But he says, you realize what I've suffered? Aristarchus was there with him in the midst of that. In Acts chapter 19, there's, there's a riot in the city of Ephesus, complete and total chaos. People want to kill Paul because he has impacted the, the trade and the, the worship around their city gods. Aristarchus was right there with him. And so some people could say, oh, you should have done this, right? And Aristarchus would be like, nope, nope, you have no idea what you're talking about, right? And he's able to say to Paul, hey, remember, we've been in trouble like this before. And to to lift his spirits and to encourage him, he sailed with Paul to Rome. And he's, he's, he's in Rome with Paul sending greetings. Another one who's there with him is Mark who I think of all New Testament people, we could affectionately call him the loser, right? I mean, he is the the weak link out of the bunch. Mark is the quitter, right? Not only do scholars think that he's the one who ran away, uh, somebody showed up like in a sheet in the garden, you know, and that's all they had. They were like, what's going on? You know, Jesus is in the garden and he, he, he shows up and, uh, and the, the Roman guards uh, grab at him. They grab his clothes and it says he ran away naked. How do you like that to be your legacy in the New Testament? Right. But even worse, right, is the fact that that when Paul and Barnabas go out on their missionary journey, they take a long mark with them. Mark discovers that ministry is tough, right? Paul gets beaten and he gets imprisoned and he's accused of all kinds of things and people are vicious to him. And Mark's like, you know what? I'm going to go home. And then when they're ready to go out on another missionary journey, it's like, all right, we're going to take Mark, right? That's what Barnabas says. And Paul's like, no, that guy's a loser. He's a quitter. We don't take quitters. Missionary journeys are for champions, not for for losers, right? And it says that there was a great controversy and, and Paul and Barnabas split. Paul takes Silas, who obviously like had to be a tough guy, right? You know, and Barnabas takes Mark because, you know, he needs to be coddled and encouraged. Mark's legacy in the New Testament is that he's a dropout quitter loser. Paul says this in 2 Timothy Chapter 4, verse 11, when he's writing to Timothy and he's saying, hey, finish up your work in Ephesus and come to me. I need you. He says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me in ministry. Mark, through his experience, I think of being rejected by Paul 
and Barnabas taking him out and encouraging him, Mark grows. And, and he, he develops, even though he's got this fantastic failure in his background, he overcomes that. You know, maybe you've had difficulty in your life. Maybe you've, you've, you've had some experiences or, or done some things, and you're like, how could God ever use me? He can use you. The difficulties that we face are supposed to uh, cause us to seek the Lord and to depend on him. And there, are, there aren't things that we go through that disqualify us. We need to repent and put our trust in the Lord and depend on him. And we say, okay, what now? We let him determine the whole story. We seek to be obedient and to follow. Mark is here with me. And Paul includes this, um, you know, this mysterious phrase here. He says, concerning whom you've received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. I wonder, like, when, when Paul went out on his second missionary journey, and people were like, who's this guy? Silas? Where's Barnabas? He's like, oh, you know, Barnabas quit, and he took the crybaby with him, you know? And now he's wondering if, if like, as Mark goes out, you know, are they going to be like, oh, you're the crybaby? You know, don't say, don't call him the crybaby, guys, you know? He's good now. He gets it done. Like, welcome him and listen to him and receive him. He's grown. Right? I'll tell you, I, I have this cassette tape. Not that anybody can listen to it anymore. Um, but I've had guys message me, and they're like, I just preached my first sermon. It was horrible. I used to give this cassette tape to guys and say, hey, listen to this. My one friend, Kevin, he's a missionary in Ecuador now. He, he called me after he listened to it, and he said, why did you give that to me? And I said, well, how was it? He's like, well, I was like, it was terrible, right? I said, yeah, it was terrible. I said, you'll get better. This is my terrible, horrible, awful, most awful sermon ever. Like, I wanted to die when I finished preaching it. Here you go. Like, let this be an encouragement to you. Right? This is what we call a stinker. You know, it's horrible. Mark is a story of hope for all of us, I think. And then there's another one, Jesus called Justice. Uh, he is an encourager. He's one who, who, uh, who, who is a comfort to Paul. Now, I wonder about him. It's like Jesus called Justice. Right? Why do they call him justice? Well, Paul is going around, and he's preaching about Jesus. And I wonder if, if as he's preaching, Jesus resurrected, uh, crucified, you know, the, the, the justifying Savior who, who is the source of our righteousness. People were probably always like, this guy? You know? This? And they're like, no, no, no. You need a new name, buddy. We're going to call you justice. Nothing's known about him except that he was Jewish, he's of the circumcision, and he's a fellow worker for the kingdom. But he was a comfort to Paul, like Mark, like Aristarchus. None of us can produce what we're capable of producing. None of us can accomplish what we're supposed to accomplish without receiving encouragement. We need to know whether we're heading the right direction or not. We need to know whether what we're doing is, is positive. There are times where we can do well and, and what we're doing is beyond our, our normal uh, activities and we feel 
Like, that did not go well. And we need somebody to say, no, that was great. There have been times where I have preached in this pulpit and I have walked off the stage and thought, what in the world was going on there? Like, what just happened? That was horrible. And someone will message me later on in the week and say, that was meaningful, thank you. I'm like, okay. You know, they explain how it, it blessed them. That's important to continue to go the distance. There are people who, who drop out and who stop running the race all the time. And what they need is somebody to say, hey, get back up and get back in the race. Don't quit. Don't be discouraged. Keep going. And so facing trial, facing possible execution, instead of falling apart in anxiety, Paul has these brothers around him who encourage him to keep going and to keep working. We see Epaphras, who is a man who prayed. He is the prayer warrior. In verse 12, we find out that he's the guy who was from the, the, the city of Colossae. He started the church there, we learn earlier in this letter. He cared deeply for them and for those in the neighboring cities of Laodicea and Heropolis. He prayed. He was a fellow prisoner as well. I'm sure at times he struggled with the question of what can I do for my people? What can I do for the church that I started? How can I help these people who I love? I'm far away and I can't get to them. I can't minister to them. What he could do was pray, and he did. Many times we, we, we treat prayer like it's an after effect, don't we? We're like, hey, what do you need in order to fulfill your ministry? What do you need in order to go overseas as a, as a missionary? What do you need to, 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 under, uh, you know, to undertake this new work? How can we help you? What can we give you? Do you need money? You know, and, and missionaries will say, what we really need you know, is your prayers. And we're like, oh, of course, prayers, right? Prayers, yeah, sure. Instead of seeing prayer as a, a vital source of power, Instead of seeing it as, as something that, that the Lord calls us to do, that we're to, we're to go to him and say, Lord, work in this situation and so that we can see the, the enabling power of God, the presence of the Lord active and at work in the midst of his people. Prayer is a frontline activity. It's not that the least he could do is pray. It's that he was chained to a wall, you know, consigned to house arrest, something. And he knew that there was something that he could do for his brothers and sisters. And so he prayed. He prayed constantly. It says that he was always praying. He prayed fervently. He labored in, in prayer. And he prayed personally. He prayed for them with the goal in mind that they would be perfect and complete. What he prays for is their maturity, right? This isn't a prayer list full of physical ailments and help this one pay the rent and, you know, help this one here and, and you know, um, Lord, you know, help this person recover from this. He pr he's praying for them that they would grow, that they would be perfect and complete, that they would mature and grow up. I think I mentioned this before. There are times uh, when we look at pictures of our kids 
and uh, you know, a picture will come up and it's, you know, a picture of Sam when he was so little or of Jack when he was tiny, you know, he's just an enormous baby, like super cute. You know, now he's like tall and lean, but when he was little, he was like, it, it was just like, wow, where does all this food go? You know, like it's just like oozing out of him everywhere. It was just an enormous kid. And then there's Max, who was just from the minute that he was born, he was laughing and doing goofy stuff. And so there's tons of random pictures of, of you know, like Max doing crazy things. And then Hank comes along years and years later. And so he's like the precious golden one, you know, like there's like 10,000 pictures of Hank. And there, there are times when Nancy says, like, don't you miss when they were that little? And I'm like, of course but I don't miss them, like, spilling stuff everywhere, right? I don't miss, like, milk all over the table. I don't miss it. You know what? I love the fact that they can pour something for themselves, right? I love maturity. I love the fact that I can say, hey, go and pick up your brother and bring him home. Like, he's driving. I love it. It's great because I don't have to do all this stuff. Maturity is wonderful, right? I mean, imagine it's like you're 20, you're 18, you're 16, you're eight, and I'm still like helping you get milk? Come on, right? And I don't know, you know, maybe, maybe Nancy wants to go back to that. Like, I don't think so. I think, I think we love maturity. We miss the, we, we, we treasure those memories, but man, you know, the, the fact that they are self-sufficient and they're getting certain things done and they're accomplishing stuff is amazing. It's a source of, of pride. And so Paul is praying, or sorry, uh, Epaphras is praying that the Colossians would mature, that, that they would, would grow to the point where they're able to teach others and to share with others and to care for one another and to love one another and to encourage one another. Not that they're constantly coming back to their teacher and saying, what do we do now? What do we do now? How do we answer this question? What am I supposed to do? No, they, they know who they are and they know whose they are because they're growing. That's the greatest thing that we can pray for, for others, is that they would grow in Christ, that they would come to him, that they would love him, and that they would mature. Now, two, two more, uh, and then, uh, actually, it's, yeah, it's going to be three. We're going to look at two, and then, and then one as we conclude. I think there are two people that we can, we can contrast here. One is Luke, who is described as the beloved Physician. When we look through the New Testament uh, and we, we ask the question like, hey, who's Paul's best friend? A lot of times I think it, I, my mind immediately goes to Barnabas, right? Like Barnabas was the, the guy. And then there's Silas, right? Like they were in, in prison together. They were, they were beaten within an inch of their life and they sang together. Like that's a significant experience. They were probably tight, those two. There's Timothy, right? Paul says... I have nobody like him. There's nobody like Timothy who's going to have genuine care for you. But when I think about best friends, like my mind now goes to Luke, who just, I think he loved Paul. He respected him. He, he, he supported his work. He traveled with him consistently. And he doesn't show up a lot in 
the, the writings in a way that's, that's prominent. There's a place um, in, in, in the book of Acts, this is interesting, if you want to write these, uh, these scripture references down, you can look them up later. In Acts chapter 16, Acts 16, verse 10, and then later in Acts 20, verse 5, and in Acts 27, 1, right? 16, 10, 20, verse 5, and 27, 1. What happens is, is the, the narrative of the book of Acts is no longer, and then Paul did this, and then Paul did this. It's we did this. We did this together. We went here. We went there, right? Like, this is where the writer of the book actually shows up in the story and, and is with the, the star, is with Paul, and he's traveling with him. Like, he doesn't say, this is where I showed up. He just says, we did this, and we did that, and then he fades. He doesn't draw attention to himself. But, but, but Luke is Paul's, like, road trip buddy, always with him, traveling with him, is used by the Holy Spirit to write a significant portion of the New Testament. A lot of people talk about, you know, Paul's letters and how great they are. 81 pages in the Bible, in the New Testament. Now, just think about this. There's, there's uh, in, in the ESV Bible that's on the coffee table at home, there's uh, 1,100 pages in the Old Testament in that Bible and 316 in the New, Right? Paul's letters are just 81 pages. Luke's letters, Luke's, Luke's book of Acts and his gospel are 80 pages. Significant portion of the New Testament written by him. And he was faithful to Paul to the end. Paul says, Luke alone is with me. We have a tremendous knowledge of how the New Testament of how, of how that timeline unfolded and how Jesus' life unfolded. Because as Luke traveled with Paul, he supported him and cared for him, but he was also like, oh, you're Jesus' mother? Like, I want to ask you a bunch of questions. Oh, you were there, uh, Simon, like uh, uh, Simon of Cyrene. His, his children are described in the book of Romans. Paul knew them. Like, your dad carried the cross. Tell us about that, you know? And he wrote things down in order, and he, he put together the history of the, of the early church, focused on the, uh, the work of his friend who was being accused of being uh, a, a, a criminal, trying to instigate uh, rebellion against Rome. And, and Paul was, was tried and tested, but Luke stood with him and supported him. He was there. He was a friend who stuck closer than a brother. So Paul calls him the beloved physician. And then he mentions a man named Demas and calls him a fellow laborer. But not long after, just before Paul talks about the fact that Luke is a beloved brother, he mentions Demas and he says that Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. You know, the, the, the family of the church is, uh, is something that you gotta, you got to take a picture of it, right? Not everybody shows up every single Sunday, right? Not everybody's here um, every year. People move. People get married. Uh, back in First Baptist, in Union, we would have said saints graduate and they go home to be with the Lord, right? You know, the, the church is constantly changing. And part of that is there are going to be those people who we thought, like, that is my brother and they're going to vanish on us. They're going to drop out. And we need to pray for them. 
encourage them, love them, seek to correct them, but not lose heart ourselves. Part of of being on the team is doing the best we can, remaining steadfast. Paul, uh, or rather Jesus, talks about in, in the book of Revelation, in the letters to the seven churches, he talks about the fact that, that we're to be the ones who overcome in order to receive reward. Here's the thing about the team, right? We work together as a team, but we have an individual responsibility. We have to, we have to stay part. We have to receive encouragement and correction, but we need to persevere and engage our will and and stay part of what God is doing. The good news is that we have everything in Christ that we need in order to go the distance, but we need to apply our will. And part of staying engaged is, is seeing who did God create me to be and how do I live that out? Paul is supported by messengers, comforters, prayer warriors, servants, guys, friends who are just there with him, supporting him and for him. We need to figure out, okay, what has God given me? Who am I? What am I supposed to do? And then remain steadfast and not neglect what God has given to us. This is the burden that we have, that we need to remain steadfast, we need to remain engaged, we need to apply our will to the opportunities that have been given to us by the Lord. Are we willing to say, because I am a child of God, because he has creator rights over me, because I've been purchased by him, redeemed by him, how do I choose to live? Which brings us to the last person and the challenge this morning. Paul remarks concerning Archippus, who we know nothing about. Paul tells the Colossians to tell Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you've received in the Lord. Make sure that you fulfill it. Let me challenge you with this this morning. The Lord has laid a burden on your heart to serve him. If, if, if you're feeling like, here's how I am called to help, here's what I'm called to do, this is my, my ministry or my mission, then the burden is on each and every one of us to take heed to it and to apply ourselves to it, to seize the opportunity and not let it pass, to, to press forward. Here's the good news. If you put your faith and trust in Christ, you are part of the team. God has a purpose for you. The burden is to make sure that you fulfill it. Paul says, grace be with you, and he closes this letter. Let's pray as we close. Father, thank you for the opportunity to open your word. I pray for each and every one of my brothers and sisters here that that by the power of your spirit, through the teaching of your word, and because of the great things that you have given to us in Jesus, blessings innumerable, I pray that we would each be able to confidently answer the question, who am I and whose am I? And then take a look at our talents and our abilities and press forward in the mission that you've given to us. Father, I pray that we would grow in love and affection for one another, in encouragement, that we would grow in service, that we would love one another so that the world would look at the church and say, those are the disciples of Jesus. And Father, I pray that we would find great 
fulfillment and encouragement in serving you. Father, I pray that none of us will look back on our life and believe that we've wasted it, but instead that we would lay hold of the opportunity to serve you and run with it for the joy that's set before us. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for for this book, from your word, and for all of the, the people who were involved in the mission of the church. And we pray that that would be a great encouragement to us as we serve you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing a closing song together.